Hello and welcome to another episode of Brothers Creed Podcast, where we talk about motivation, experiences, and exploring the world around us. We're the Thomas Brothers, and I'm Ethan. I'm Jared, and today we're talking about uh, a pretty crazy topic. We're talking about rampages. Uh, <laughs> we're talking about historic examples, pretty much in the U.S., where people have just gone off the handle and gone on some kind of crazy rampage. Um these are some interesting, unique stories, uh, specifically like people go to rampage throughout the community, and so uh, pretty interesting. Uh, I think both of one of mine is in California, one of yours is in California, other of mine was in Michigan. Where's your other one? California, California. Yeah, that's oh, like no, crazy. Colorado, Colorado. Oh, Colorado. Yeah. So, um, yeah, the, I, I find these stories are interesting, and some of them have some interesting nuances about them. So, uh, and they actually. In some cases, they actually spurred uh, escalation and uh, militarization of the police and stuff like that. So, uh, very interesting to study these these case studies. And um, people are really stressed right now with all that's going on, all the political divide, coronavirus. It's like a vice just squeezing down on everybody. So, it's good to know uh, what some of these warning signs may be. Uh, and if someone's going on a rampage, you can maybe avoid that or, or know. Uh, maybe what what was done in the past. So anyway, excited to do this episode. This is kind of a fun episode, uh, part of our exploration uh, and just understanding experiences of people that people have had. So uh, let's go ahead and dive in. All right, let's do it. You can't climb the ladder of success with your hands in the pocket. We will not go quietly into the night. They tell me you're a man with true grit. I am the one who knocks. Don't ever tell me what I can't do, ever! That's how winning is done. Okay, so the first rampage that um, we're going to talk about today is uh, it's, a, it's a pretty popular story, and, and I think it's it's popular because there's there's quite a bit of controversy around it, and there's there's actually some people that were like kind of in support of the rampage. Yeah, one of mine too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and so uh, this this story is called uh, is called the rampage of the killdozer, <laughs> right? So uh, in June of 2004 in Granby, Colorado, there's a guy named Marvin Hemeyer, and um, as a little bit of a preface, he uh, used an armored bulldozer to conduct a rampage around the town. So uh, of what town? Uh, Granby, Colorado. I've never heard of it. It's probably a real small town. Yeah, it's smallish. Um, and so uh, the incident is known as the Killdozer Rampage. So uh, Marvin Hemeyer, uh, he was a professional welder, and uh, he owned a muffler repair shop, and he would do a lot of welding on muffler repairs and different things like that. So he opened a a, a muffler repair shop in Granby in 1992. He lived in a different county but then moved uh shortly after he opened his shop to um to granby colorado so once he moved there he he was really into kind of local politics and he you know would go to all the town hall meetings and everything else and it's a small ish town uh so he definitely was was participating what was going on so he, he got involved um he initially was actually trying to support um, efforts to legalize gambling in the area. Really? Um, and so that didn't really go very well. It kind of got majorly shut down, and he was kind of a little bit upset about that. But then 
Shortly after that, he had, next to his muffler shop, he had, there was a plot of land. And um, he sold this plot of land um, to a, a, a family in the area. Family, I say family, but it was like a, a, a big name family in the area called the, uh, the Dochefs. And he sold it to them thinking that they were going to maybe put, um, you know, house it, develop it, or apartments, or, or something like that. But once they they got past what, what they decided to do with that property that he sold that was right next to his business was they decided to put a, a concrete pit, basically, as a <laughs> concrete batch plant on, oh, this, on this land. And so he, I guess there was a bunch of repercussions from that, and um, he didn't want that for several different reasons. I don't know if it was noise or dust or, you know, just damage and yeah, everything else. And so he got into a massive zoning dispute with this family and the, um, the, 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 the town. So the the zoning dispute went back and forth, and he ended up suing the door chefs, and then um, it was like a very, very public fight in the town, and it went through the whole town board because the they wanted to get zoning for the, the concrete pit, and then he was fighting against it, and eventually it passed, and they got the zoning. Hmm. And there was a couple other um, incidences that... He felt just he felt really wronged. Uh, he felt that the that there was some massive corruption going on in town hall with the governor, and they were playing favoritism, and they were um, you know not not following the laws, but they were just uh, you know just basic everyday political corruption. Yeah, and so he got pretty upset about that, and ultimately, I mean, he lost all of the lawsuits that he ended up going into with um, trying to to get back and try to to, to resolve the issue. So, uh, so somewhere in that time period where after it was like a a year and a half after all of these, uh, lawsuits and everything went through and he lost that he decided he was going to, uh, he decided he was going to get back at the town. Actually the whole town. So he decided before that, but it took him a year and a half to plan and prepare to get back at the whole town. So this is like a um, like a law-abiding citizen type yeah, deal here. Yeah, it's interesting because <laughs> I, I was thinking about it, and a lot of times you think like, you know, people just, they just snap, and they they go crazy, and it's an emotional response, and they just, you know, they go out and they they, they go on a rampage and kill a bunch of people. But at least in the, the, the examples I'm going to give today, they're like very thought out very meticulously planned. And I mean, like this guy took a year and a half to make preparations. Um, so, so what kind of preparations? Yeah, yeah. So he, uh, he wanted to get back at these, this Dorcha family, this, the town and anybody that had wronged him throughout the course of this fight. So then we come to what is, what is done, the kill dozer, <laughs> right? So he had a, uh, he, he modified a Komatsu D355A bulldozer, which is just a really big, heavy-duty bulldozer. He modified it because he was a welder. Mm-hmm. So he got like plate steel, and he 
first he put a a sheet of plate steel all around the whole bulldozer, bulldozer covering up all the windows and any place that might be uh, shot at. Yeah, or shot at vulnerable. Or, or vulnerable to attack. Um, and then he uh, welded a second layer of sheet metal, um, but he left like a six inch to a foot gap in between these two plates of sheet metal. And then he poured concrete in between the, the sheets of metal. He like created like box. And so it wasn't just the sheet metal, but it was concrete sandwiched in between the sheet metal. That must've been freaking heavy. Yeah. So they said it weighed like 85 tons after he finished this thing. Oh, wow. And so, not only did he, uh, so he, he plated the whole thing and concreted the whole thing, so it was basically, uh, I mean, impenetrable. And he had covered up all the windows, so you couldn't see where he's going. He couldn't see at all where he's going? He couldn't see at all where he's going, because he'd cover up all the windows. So he rigged um, like a, a, a land network of five cameras all around the outside of the bulldozer, and he had two monitors inside the bulldozer oh where he could gosh. see where he was going. But uh, they, uh, in order to protect these cameras, he actually built them in like plexiglass, bulletproof glass cases so that when the police shot at the, the cameras trying to kill the cameras, yeah. they, uh, they couldn't kill the cameras. But the plexiglass shattering would probably blind the cameras anyway. Maybe. Um, but he... Uh, he even went as far as to build an air compressor system with hoses that would go to the edge of the cameras so that he could blow uh, compressed air so in front of the up. camera so it wouldn't fog up or that because he's going to be, if you're in a dozer, you're going to be running through or over some stuff. And he yeah. didn't want, he wanted to be able to blow away any kind of debris so that he could see. Yeah, so, man. Kind of cool. So, you know, he, he spent a lot of time putting this all together. So one day he got in the bulldozer. Um, he had three rifles on him. He had a, a 50 caliber, a 50 cal rifle, a 308 and a 22 rifle with him. Yeah. He had he had built in to the bulldozer these sliding steel windows that would slide open and give him enough room to stick the barrel of the gun out. Oh wow. Which is interesting. Um that's where a lot of the controversy is is that um they really question whether he uh wanted to kill people or if he wanted to just make a, a, a statement. So, and I'll get into a little bit more details of that as I, as I go on. So, um, on January 4th, 2004, he had built this kill dozer in his garage. Uh, it was like this big steel, uh, metal sided garage and he got in it, he got ready and the thing was too big to fit through the door, so he just drove through the side of the garage. <laughs> and it was just, boom, he's just, just right through the through side it. of the garage. Yeah, just plowed through the side of the garage. And then he started, he, start, he, he took the bulldozer, and his goal was to demolish the places of the people that had wronged him. Oh, and so he went to next door um, to the place. Yeah, the so he went place. to he went to his uh, an old his old business, his former business, which is the uh, I think it's the the muffler business that he no longer had anymore. Um, so he demolished that, and he went to the concrete plant. He just run right through the whole run right through the oh, place. Oh yeah, just, just right right little through. by little he just was destroying. Well, it. I think it was kind of it run right through it as much as he could. I mean, at some instances, I think he had to back up and kind of go through and back up and go through, but huh. just doing massive damage. 
He went to the concrete plant, destroyed that. He went to Town Hall, uh-huh. destroyed Town Hall. <laughs> no way. Yeah. And then he went to um, the office of a local newspaper that had uh, written a pretty nasty editorial against him, and he uh, demolished that. He went to... Um, how long? Wait, how, how long is this lasting? <laughs> This is all over uh, town. Yeah, so so he went. So I'll say that in a second. So he, he went to the uh, newspaper, demolished that. He went to the home of the former mayor and demolished that. He went to a local hardware store and demolished that. And there's a few other places that he destroyed. Every single place that he destroyed was in some way related to someone that had wronged him in these court cases that they went through. Oh my goodness! <clears throat> so the attack lasted for two hours and seven minutes. That's a long time. Yeah. Damaging 13 buildings, knocking out natural gas services to the town hall and the concrete plant, and damaging a truck. Yeah, one thing is that there was a, a brand new police truck that, like, right at the beginning when he started going, this um, uh, police officer in, like, a brand new issued state truck pulled up and, and tried to, like, stop him, and he just ran over the truck. <laughs> I'm assuming the police officer got out. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, he also destroyed a portion of a utility service center. So um, through all this, he, he he went through all this different stuff. He was doing all these different things. He was destroying these buildings. He was getting his his uh, revenge. On the, He was on this rampage. And the, question, the final question I had was, well, how did they eventually stop him? So there's a couple things that they tried. Uh, one officer uh, climbed on top of the uh, on top of it while it was moving, and he dropped a flashbang down the bulldozer's exhaust pipe, and that didn't do anything. <laughs> um, so he's a grenade. <laughs> yeah. So uh, local state patrol, including the SWAT team, they basically the thing doesn't go very fast, and so they were like running slash walking around it and behind it, and occasionally like shooting at it just to try to get it to stop, yeah, but yeah. nothing that they did, nothing that they had would penetrate it. I mean, yeah. they, they were shooting all, they were shooting any, anything that they had. So it was armed so well that it was impervious to any of these, these shots or these Were attacks. the treads covered up? So they weren't treads, they're, they're, uh, they're tracks. They're like, like metal tracks. Yeah, were they covered at all, or um, they were exposed? They were they were pretty exposed. Okay, um, that's where the weakness is. From yeah. what I remember from Saving Private Ryan, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but I don't think they had sticky bombs. <laughs> yeah, that was a war too, man. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, but that's the thing, dynamite. They don't yeah, have any it happened, it happened so quick. I mean, it's going to be like, uh, where, where can we find dynamite? It's like, I mean, police stations don't just have dynamite or even grenades on hand. I yeah, mean, they exactly. just don't have those things. Yeah. Um, so there were several other attempts that were, or, or, you know, they attempted to shoot the cameras so that he couldn't see, but he had three-inch bulletproof plastic. They were behind three-inch bulletproof plastic. Uh, another sheriff climbed on top of the, the bulldozer and was, like, trying every single way to try to get into this thing, and he rode it for quite a while, but he rode it until uh, the guy started running into some buildings, and he got knocked off by debris. Oh, yeah. And uh, the governor got involved... And the governor um, was considering authorizing the National Guard to uh, dispatch an Apache helicopter that was armed with with Hellfire missiles (laughs) to come and stop the thing. Yeah, but it was uh, it was kind of decided that there was there was too much collateral. It was right in the middle of town, and Uh and 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 actually about that same time, 
the guy when he went and destroyed the um, the hardware store, there was a basement in the hardware store. And so he was plowing through the hardware store and one of his tracks had f- kind of fallen into the basement, the concrete basement, into a hole uh-huh. of this store. And he was having, uh, his radiator was completely shot and so he was overheating because he was so heavy and I mean he he could still move and stuff uh-huh. with the bulldozer but uh, um, it, it, it was going nowhere so once he fell into this hole he couldn't get out um, and so he was stuck he was stopped and so yeah. they didn't have to bring in the hellfire so they just waited for him to come out so well, they take a Molotov cocktail yeah, throw it on him and burn yeah. him out right? so basically <laughs> what they did at this point is uh, about a minute after he got stuck and he stopped moving and they realized that he couldn't get out the SWAT team kind of surrounded the uh, the dozer and they heard um, a, a single gunshot from inside the inside the cab oh really and uh it was later determined that he had uh, taken his own life he had a 357 revolver and he had, he had taken his own life inside oh my so, gosh and, and 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 actually there's there is rumors well not really rumors but after doing like an investigation of the the dozer itself how he got in it um he actually could have never gotten out like it was this was part of his plan the whole time it was it, it was, was a, it was non, a suicide was mission did he weld himself in no, he didn't weld himself in. He, I guess there was somehow, there's some kind of hatch from the outside that locked from the outside that he couldn't have gotten out. Oh, um, interesting. And so, uh, like I was saying before, some people support this. They support him going around and like showing people who's boss, right? And telling people, in the, you know, that uh, this this revenge and, and saying, you know, we're standing up against corruption and all this sort of kind of stuff. But, one question that I had was, well, did anyone die? Like, did he, did he kill anybody or did anybody die in the stuff? Or he had these yeah. guns and he was, he was shooting these guns out of this hole. Oh, he was, he, the was, whole time he, he was, he was shooting, not the whole time. I think he shot like, like 15 or 20 rounds total out of everything. Um, but, um, it says Marvin Haymeyer never actually killed anyone no one died as a result of this no police officers nobody that no some of the buildings that he attacked there was actually people or a person inside but they were able to get out before he uh before they got injured huh. um so uh, there are some people say that uh he did he was trying to kill people because he fired some shots at the at the police um let's see he fired his rifle at least three times or at least three people um, he shot at a state trooper, and he shot one time at Cody uh, Dochev, the guy that, of the family that oh, they were yeah, feuding I with. Bet you he shot. At and him. then he shot uh, two times at uh, Sergeant Rich Garner, who was just a, a, one of the sergeants there. So, huh. so we shot like you know ten times or so, but there was it kind of came out that uh, he had released some he he had recorded some tapes before he went into the dozer and he sent these tapes to his brother like an hour before who lived in a different state and as part of these tapes it was like two and a half hours long of kind of like my motivation and why i did it everything else and are are they on youtube i don't know uh i'm sure i'm sure i'm sure it's public um but there he kind of hinted to there that i wasn't particularly trying to hurt anybody i'm not particularly trying to hurt anybody and they uh 
there's a lot of people that say that the only reason why he had the guns was to shoot propane tanks and transformer boxes and just kind of to like wreak havoc and not to specifically like kill people. So hmm. they don't exactly know. They don't know the guy. Um, but <clears throat> the the last thing, and I thought this quote was kind of interesting. You know, what he did was obviously extremely illegal. Right. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I'd be pissed if he, I'd be pissed if anybody came and ran a bulldozer into my house. It doesn't matter if I've upset you or not. Right. I mean, you don't, you're not just going to go destroy somebody's property. Um, but that being said, uh, he, he recorded these tapes and talked about his motivation and his dri- why he was driven by revenge on this zoning issue and court disputes and why he felt that they were unfair um, and uh, dishonest. So, as part of his quotes or he, he this uh, recordings that he had, he said this. He said, "I was always willing to be a re- I was always willing to be reasonable until I had to be unreasonable." And then he said, he also said, "Sometimes reasonable men must do unreasonable things." Interesting. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I guess. And so, <laughs> you know, interesting quote. Yeah. So it's just. <laughs> Really interesting. I mean, it's kind of and it, and it ended ended tragically and unfortunately and and you know, well, fortunately, it didn't kill anybody. Well, uh, yeah, I guess unfortunately for him, um, and obviously he had to have been some sort of deranged or uh, had issues and different things like that to. Want or maybe to, he's just pushed this. The, maybe he's just pushed to the brink of yeah uh, of like he had nothing left. He didn't have any family. He wasn't married. Didn't have any kids. Um, and he kind of just felt like. This is my calling. This is why I don't have kids and, and I'm not married so that I can try to fight for justice is what his whole thing was. But Interesting. I mean, really, is that is that what he did? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a very interesting story. And I think mine is actually like a precursor to that one. So that one happened in 2004. 2004. Mine happened in 1995. So uh, uh, mine happened May 17th. At 6.30 p.m. in 1995, former U.S. Army tank driver Sean Nelson makes his way over to the California National Guard Armory, which is right outside of San Diego, and he attempts to hijack a, a tank there, an M60 Patton tank. Uh, so these basically are the precursor to the Abrams tanks. Uh, they were used during the Cold... They were built during the Cold War, uh, Basically, they're meant to withstand like the like a nuclear battlefield, like fight on a nuclear battlefield. Yeah, uh, and so he jumped into he attempted to, to hijack two of them. And at the National Guard, they're always in a state of readiness, somewhat. Uh, and so he the first two didn't fire up, and so he jumps in a third one, and it fired up. And since he had s- spent some time in the army, he obviously knew how to drive him. Uh, did he was he a member of the National Guard, or did he just no. like sneak in, or he just went there and stuck in? The gate was open. And there was actually a National Guard there. Um, so he, like I said, there was he spent two years uh, in the Army. Uh, so he was a skillful driver. He knew how to drive the 50-ton vehicle. Uh, now, a National Guardsman saw him getting into the thing, and, and instead of trying to stop him, he actually called the police. Uh, probably at that time, he was already in the vehicle. Uh, so Sean takes the, t- takes the tank on a rampage through the city of San Diego, basically. And so, a little bit of background, like, why did this guy do that? Why did this guy do this? And it's always something that's important. Like, we always want to look at this. Like, what was the motive? Why did he do this? 
Um, and this one, this guy's got a litany of things that were wrong. Uh, and just his life was just literally falling to pieces. So after his military career, he, he married his girlfriend and he started a, a plumbing business, which went pretty well. And then in 1988, uh, his father died. And then a few years later, his mother died. Around that time his, uh, of his mother's death, he began to experiment with uh, drugs and alcohol, uh, and he got hooked on methamphetamines. And so, uh, you know, normally, he was normally apparently a happy man. He began to kind of slide into this depression uh, as his addictions kind of took over. Uh, during this period of darkness, he got, a really, he got into a really bad motorcycle accident, uh, and he got some really serious back injuries. There was some kind of big lawsuit he had with the hospital that he ended up losing, and he had to pay the hospital back. Um, his wife divorced him due to his alcohol and drug use. His business was failing. Uh, kind of the, the last kind of nails in the coffin here were his work van with all of his equipment in it got stolen, uh, and then his new girlfriend left him. Uh, that's a whole lot. <laughs> yeah. Also, um, his house was being, uh, I think his house was being foreclosed on. And uh, so he, he just was acting really bizarrely crazy. At one point, he dug a 17-foot shaft or basically mine a hole in the backyard, and he said that he was looking for gold. Uh, he even like made some kind of a claim with the county that he wanted the mineral rights to his to his like residential property, um, and his like I said his home was in foreclosure, so with basically nothing left in his whole life, he just snapped, um, and this is kind of where his rampage starts. So he was running through, so he got in the tank and he started just running through neighborhoods and literally. He's just like running over vehicles, fire hydrants, as many cars as he could run into. He would run over it. Staying in the street. Uh, for the most part, he didn't roll. He didn't run over really any houses or anything. But he was just crushing cars, crushing cars. Uh, at one point, he ran over like he ran right through an RV, uh, which was kind of crazy to see. We'll, we'll have to post some of these videos on uh, yeah. on our Instagram and, and TikTok. Uh, and so it was really bizarre because the police is like, we don't know what to do. You know, we. This guy's driving a tank. And uh, so people actually thought it was a movie because there was cop cars all around <laughs> the, the tank just kind of going in front of it and behind it. And uh, they had like a helicopter with loudspeaker that was saying, this is the San Diego Police Department. Stay in your houses or get away. You are in danger. You know, like really loud. And yeah. uh, people were, you know, just like, what the heck is going on? And then boom, this tank just plows through and just like crushes the cars that are parked along the street. Um, he did clip one occupied vehicle uh, with a mother and daughter inside and they were able to escape before he crushed the vehicle. Uh, and then, so he was going, then he went onto the 805 freeway heading south and, uh, they were like, oh man, this guy's going to Mexico. He's going to, no, he's going to go into the traffic and he's going to try to crush people in their cars. I mean, yeah, I guess it's true. On the freeway, there's not abandoned cars. There are people. And if you've ever been to like, L.A. or San Francisco, or, or excuse me, not San, Francisco, San Diego. I mean, there's lots of there's tons of traffic, and so they were like worried about that. And so he, one of the, he was going on the highway, and I heard two different accounts. One of the one of the videos I was watching, the actual police officer who, sh- who was involved with, it, I won't give it away, but it was involved with this. He was like, "Hey, we're going 60 miles an hour down the highway." Another video said it was like 37 miles an hour. I don't know. If I those think tanks would go 60 miles an hour. I think some can go that fast. But I don't know, somewhere between 30 and 
60, 40 to 60 miles an hour is how fast the tank was going. I don't think it was going super fast, um, but it was going on the highway and the cops were kind of just there. People were able to go around it. Like some people were going around it, uh, like on the highway when it just got on. And so, I mean, they're probably going 67 miles an hour. So if they're able to go around, it's probably going slower. Um, But anyway, like at one point that he tries to like ram a pedestrian footbridge that goes over the highway to try to bring the footbridge down onto the highway so that the cop cars can't follow can't follow him he ended up giving up on that and he just kept going and then he he was really um he he was there was there wasn't a lot of cars around him because the police were going in front of him getting the cars out of the way but one of the interesting things is that this the you know police department was like um they were like, did the SWAT guys have anything in their arsenal to stop him? And and like all over the radio, they're like, nope, SWAT doesn't have anything. And they're like, what about the National Guard? And it's like, well, they're too far away. And it's like, well, they could get a helicopter with a missile, you know, similar thing. They could get a missile, see if they could take it out. But we got to fuel it and got to get a pilot and all this kind of stuff. It's going to take too long. And this guy's literally on the highway about to start crushing people in their cars, you know. And uh, so the National Guard, uh, uh, yeah, they tank was like i said earlier was equipped with a nuclear and biological warfare filtration system so any chemicals they would have used or, or fire anything like that wouldn't have worked you know they couldn't have tried to smoke them out or anything like that and so he just keeps going uh on this rampage and then at one point he's like um they were they were worried that he had ammo and all kinds of stuff inside but he didn't have any of that the ammo like it's probably kept in it was locked, locked up yeah, at locked the up National not, Guard. Not kept on, yeah. on the, the vehicle. So what he did, what the guy decided to do is he decided to jump the median. He wanted to jump the median of the highway to get into the oncoming traffic because then it would be easier uh, maybe to crush cars or maybe he was trying to get away. Uh, so he tried to jump the median, and that's where he got stuck. He got stuck on the median. Hmm. Uh, and then the police basically just swarmed him and uh they just they would they jumped off uh, they jumped up on top of the tank and they were trying to get the hatch open uh because um that was like if he gets unstuck here he's going to be heading into oncoming traffic which there's more traffic this way so he'll just be literally killing people and so at this point he had, he had not killed anybody and so they had some bolt cutters and one of the uh, policemen that jumped up there had served in the army, and he knew a little bit about the tanks. So they somehow used the bolt cutters uh, to cut off some kind of pin or lock, uh, and they were able to open the hatch. And uh, which I'm like, dude, how secure is that? Your bolt cutters can open the top of a tank. <laughs> he and would think come that on. you could lock it from the inside. Yeah, you'd but... think you would, and you'd think that like <laughs> that would be one of the most secure spots, you know. Uh, anyway. Uh, uh, the, so the two police officers opened up the hatch and they were yelling at him, like trying to yell him, stop, you know, get away from the controls. And he didn't answer him. He, he did look up and back at them. He made eye, the one officer said he made eye contact with them, but then he just kept going. So um, the, the officer just looked down at him and he, and he just put one round right through the top of his shoulder and went all the way down through his body and basically killed him instantly. Mm. And, uh, so uh, one of the interesting things about this is that the state ended up paying out about $150,000 in damages to people um, that uh, had their cars crushed or whatever. But in the Killdozer incident, it caused an estimated $7 million, $7 million in yeah. damages. Uh, 
So uh, I imagine this was a pre- maybe a precursor to the Killdozer. Maybe yeah, that maybe guy the idea inspiration from it. I guess. Yeah. So kind of like a wild story, and you don't ever want to see a tank run on the highway because you're like, how do I even? What do we even do with this? You know, and the police thought it was a joke when someone called when they called in at first. Nothing like this had ever happened before. And they're like, What? Are you yeah. joking? You're like, yeah, someone has a tank and they're he was going through like residential neighborhoods at first. And it's like, imagine just like walking out and there's like a tank that goes and then just crushes your car and you're like, Oh my gosh. You know? It's pretty pretty, interesting. pretty wild. Yeah, that's that's crazy. You know, I it's interesting to to see that. I don't know. People do crazy things in times of desperation. You know, they 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 get so down or depressed or alone or just desperate for any kind of attention. I think sometimes that they're just like, I I don't want you know I don't know. And maybe this is just my speculation, but it's almost like I don't want to uh, I don't want to take my own life. So I'm just gonna. It's like people that like. They do uh, suicide by cop. Yeah, yeah. And they like charge the police and try to you know hurt him or whatever, and then they get shot. And then I, I think that part of it is if you think about doing something that has a high impact, a high level of impact on someone else's life. Like if I walked out of my house right now, there's probably I, I can't think of really much that I could do to make a high immediate positive impact on someone's life i mean i could go to my neighbor and say hey i'm giving you you know everything that i have or you know like but that's not it it, so i I think that some people when they get so desperate and they're so at the end of their rope they're just like i feel like i'm not like i'm nothing in this world yeah and maybe they say well how can i make a high impact even though it may be negative on the things around me and that's where they want to get even or that's where they want to just go on a rampage and try to do something uh, to feel like they are having an effect on the world, you know? Yeah, that they're making some sort of impact, even though it may be negative. Uh, You've done something to drastically impact someone's life. I mean, you could go out right now and you could do something that could impact someone's life for the rest of their life. Negative. And that's so easy to do negative. Yeah. But it's very difficult to do that in a positive way. At, at at that level, right? I mean, you could go and and you know crush fifty cars going down a residential neighborhood, but I mean, I'm not gonna say it's easy to do, but that is probably easier to do than going and buying people buying fifty people cars on a residential street. Well, yeah, I mean, plus like I, I mean, I mean, these guys that don't have anything, they're disenfranchised. Obviously, they're at the end of their rope, they're at the end yeah. of their line, and so. Yeah. Yeah. It's just interesting, you know, but I think that right now we're in a situation where a lot of people are very stressed, all time highs. Yeah. And so uh, I think you see a lot of this even on a smaller scale with, um, you know, rage. Yeah. Road rage or even at like some of these riots and against the police and, and not even, not even just against the police, but just different people that had different viewpoints and, and, uh, um, you know, I, I just think it's, I don't know, it's crazy times. I think it's a, what do they call it, a powder keg. Yeah. All I mean, the, you look, at, is, you look what's happening in Australia right now, dude. Those those guys are protesting like crazy. Yeah, I was watching a thing where there's like a whole line of like 50 cops, two deep, 
and they were facing off in the middle, like in this uh, downtown scenario between two buildings against like a whole bunch of civilians uh-huh. and the civilians just charged them and just plowed through them. Yeah, I saw that too. And it's just like, yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess once, once you get to a certain, and I think that's different than this type of situation, but I think, yeah, you get to a certain point to where you gotta, either, yeah, in some cases you gotta, you gotta have up. an, you gotta have an impact. Yeah, I think it's a little bit different because you're, in, in some cases you might be standing against like what you perceive as tyranny as, or, or like, oppression whereas in other cases it's maybe just like i'm crazy i'm on methamphetamines i'm on drugs or i've just absolutely have nothing left in my life except for this hate inside me to revenge against you know like the killdozer guy yeah for sure and i think it's i think it has potential of being selfish too like there's this uh this other one that that i was going to talk about um and this is uh there's two guys uh this was in la where they uh they completely decked out their entire bodies with uh, body armor. You know, some of it was was homemade body armor, other was 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 purchased. But they had full head to toe body armor. I mean, even like helmets, face masks, gloves, like everything was was uh, bulletproof or resistant, right? And so they uh, they went and they they robbed a bank, and then they were they kind of had this standoff outside of the bank and um they had automatic weapons and the police this was in uh i think 1994 i think um and so uh the police just had their normal you know firearms like nothing special i think that was like just around the time where some police departments were kind of Moving to a semi-automatic pistol platform like a Glock, but other other departments still had revolvers like a Smith and Wesson revolver. Yeah, and these guys had fully automatic weapons, and obviously there's bad dudes out there that just want to wreak havoc, and you're gonna find that anywhere. Oh yeah. Um, but for for 44 minutes, these guys opened up um and just completely outgunned these police officers. For forty-four minutes, there was just massive gunfight in the street. Were they running basically. and gunning, or were they just they were moving or? they they kind of started out in one location and then they 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 kind of moved as they went on, um, but uh, gradually or, or eventually they they called in the SWAT team. SWAT team came, and the SWAT team with their firepower was eventually able to um, kind of equalize their their firepower that these guys had. And the SWAT team's shots, they were able to shoot enough times where it opened some some areas in the armor and they were able to What kind of armor did they drop have? these? I, I I don't know exactly the type of honor uh, armor. Um but I think some of it was it was a mixture, kind of a hodgepodge of steel ke- plates Kevlar, and resin Kevlar, and- Steve pl- steel plates. I think some of it was actually purchased, like like normal military um stuff. But then other stuff they had just kind of fashioned together, like on their on their legs and their calves and their hands and stuff. They had made gloves and with different metal pieces and stuff on. Really, them. yeah. So um, this was really. Did you see the outfits? Yeah, I saw a picture of them. We'll have to post that. Yeah, yeah. We'll we'll, we'll post pictures of all these. Um, <clears throat> but basically, the SWAT team ended up getting through their armor. And and was able were able to take them out. Um, 
there was two guys, Larry Phillips, he was 26, and then Emil um, Matasarano, who was 30, that uh, died. 11 officers were wounded, but nobody was killed, hmm. uh, which is which is good in that situation, obviously. But this really made a huge impact on the uh, LAPD and just other police departments around the whole United States because they were not trained for stuff like this. I mean, uh, the these guys, they had a plan, they had strategy, they had you know all these different things. The police officers were just like hiding behind trees and cars and they didn't, I mean, there was, they weren't communicating, they, they, they weren't doing anything uh, except for, you know, individually trying to yeah, fight yeah. back or whatever. So, um, it, it, it caused the agencies to massively upgrade their weapons. It gave them access to high powered rifles, um, that are now commonplace in most police cars. Yeah. Um, it, uh, trained them on how to use these weapons, uh, typically weapons that only the SWAT team would be, would, would use. Um, now it's training regular police officers and, and how to use them in these different scenarios. Um, it increased the they increased the caliber of handguns to, from potentially nine millimeter to forty or forty five or whatever it may be, um, and so it just did a lot. There was uh, one of the police officers had a quote, and I'll end with this, but uh, he said, "I saw my rounds hit his black jacket, and I uh, and as I shot at him." He so let me start it again. Sorry, I saw my rounds hit his black jacket, and as I shot at him, he kept coming. Was this a dream? I wasn't sure, but as this specter made eye contact with me, he pointed his weapon and fired right at me. I remember asking God, "Is this the day death was coming?" And so, kind of scary. Yeah, it's interesting. (laughs) I mean, you're like shooting at these guys, and like literally, your bullets are just bouncing off. That's wild, man. Um, so, yeah, it wasn't like full juggernaut. I mean, they could still like move around. Yeah, yeah. But they had it was, bags of cash from the bank that they robbed. No, or I, 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 I don't know if they, if they actually got in to rob the bank, or if they were going to rob the bank and then got confronted before. But the the article I was reading just said they were outside of the bank. Um, also, they must have had a ton of ammo. They're in a forty five minute standoff. Yeah. Jeez, man. So, yeah, I just, uh, that was interesting. So, uh, in, in this instance, you know, it caused significant change, which I think, you know, potentially can be a good thing. Yeah, that's wild. Well, I have a crazy story here. This is freaking wild, man. I couldn't believe this one. So, this one is about the Kalamazoo shootings in 2016. So, six people were basically randomly killed by in Kalamazoo, Michigan on the night of February 20th, 2016. So, this is the guy, Jason Brian Dalton. So he's a 46-year-old father of two. Uh, has kids were aged 10. and He had a daughter 10 years old, the son 15 years old. He was also married. He had been married for 20 years. According to the neighbors, he was a nice guy. He has a good family man. Uh, he worked as a mechanic uh, and then as an insurance adjuster. He passed all background checks and had no history of violence. That's our killer. So hmm. there was no reason for him snapping. So listen to this. So that Jason was driving his Chevy Equinox around as an Uber driver on the afternoon of February 20th. At 4 o'clock, this is where it, like something went south. He picked up a passenger uh, during the drive. Jason received a call and suddenly 
uh, and the, the passenger said that after he could hear uh, on the call um, that it was a high-pitched voice and sounded aggravated. The conversation lasted about a minute, uh, and then apparently the phone records show that his he received a call from his wife at about 4.40 that day, um, but I'm not sure if they know if, if exactly that was the call. But anyway, he said that it was a short call. Once the, the passenger said that he hung up, and then he immediately just floored it, and he hammered the gasoline pedal, he said, uh, and he just started driving crazy. At one point, he went into oncoming traffic, ignored stop signs, sideswiped another car, uh, and then the passenger the whole time was yelling, stop, 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 stop. And he called, and the passenger called 911, and then when he came to a stop at a stoplight, or stop sign, uh, the passenger jumped out, uh, and then called 911, was like, you know, this guy's driving crazy. Basically, 911's like, okay, we'll tell cops to be on the lookout. Nothing happened. Uh, Jason then returned home and called his wife and said, hey, do you have the keys to the Hummer? Apparently, they had a Hummer. His wife uh, was like, no, I'll meet you at my parents' house, and we'll give you the keys. So he was went over to his parents' house, which was 10 miles away. So on the way, so at, at his home, he retrieved a gun and a bulletproof vest. Uh, he hurried home as fast as he could to prepare his guns. He s- stated it was like he wasn't even himself, like it was an alternate reality. He said that it was the Uber app that made him get his guns and made him put on the bulletproof vest. So that's a little bit of a teaser about why he said he did all this. Uh, so on his way to his parents' house, he received an Uber request to pick up someone at the Richland Township Apartments. So this is where the first shooting happened. Uh, the Richland Township Apartments, uh, there was he, he was like texting the person that he was he was supposed to be picking up some guy, some guy, lady's uh boyfriend or something but they were like having some miscommunication he was like texting her back and forth like where are you where is this place so he pulls up to this one apartment complex and he asks he sees a lady walking with some kids he says hey is your name Maisie or misty and she's like no and he's like okay so he starts to back up and then he kind of pulls forward and then he just pulls a gun on her basically and just starts shooting a lot he shot 11 times four of the bullets hit the lady um luckily uh, she played dead, and so uh, she survived. Um, uh, oh, I, I don't know if she survived or not. Um, she may have died, but uh, uh, she obviously got shot four times, to- four different times. I think she did survive, uh, from what I remember. And then he drove off, uh, and then he like just kind of sped away. And this is on his way to his parents' house. He met his wife and ended up taking. Um, he met his wife there, and, and they had. You know, she said in hindsight that he was acting kind of. He was. He said, "Oh, some taxi driver uh, sideswiped my car because he's mad that Uber's taking over the industry. He even shot at me, and uh, he apparently gave his wife uh, a like a nine millimeter Taurus and said, hey, you need to keep this and uh, make sure the kids don.' Go to school tomorrow.' And she's like, "Okay," but she said he wasn't like acting." S- I don't know. That seems kind of crazy to me. Yeah, but that initially seems suspicious said, to me. Initially, she said he wasn't acting crazy. I think that came out a little bit later. Um, and then, so what he did is he got in his, in her because they didn't have the keys to the Hummer wouldn't start. He got in his in-laws or his parents' car, and he started driving around. So he actually left um, at eight. He picked up a passenger and then dropped him off with no incident. An hour later, he picked up someone else, uh, and the passenger even. 
He even sung along on the radio uh, with that passenger uh, to some different songs. He picked up another fare, uh, and they said that he was pretty easygoing, and apparently the app was having issues. Come back to the app. Uh, And he said that didn't charge the fare correctly, but he was like, oh, don't worry about it. It's fine. And they're like, oh, that's so nice of you. Uh, And so he, he, he was apparently driving later that night, driving by a car dealership, and he saw a black BMW. This is what he said. He drove up to the drove up and parked and then he got out of his car and there was a father and son that were looking at the BMW. He walked up to him and said like, Hey, what are you looking at? And they're just like, you know, what are you doing? And then he pulled out a gun and he shot both of them, the father and son. Uh, uh, he shot them many, many different times, uh, killed both of them. Uh, and then he got back in his, he, then he, after that, he tried the handle on the BMW wouldn't open. So he got back in his car and left. Then he drove over to a, a Cracker Barrel where there was a, it was about 10 p.m. at this point. There was a car full of, there was a car with four older ladies in it because it's Cracker Barrel. <laughs> and uh, he approached the car and after a brief kind of exchange, he asked them for some money. After a brief exchange, they said no. Then he, boom, 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 shot each one of them in their seats through the driver side window. Uh, two in the front, two in the back. Uh, and uh, then he got in his car and left. So he went home after that, and at around 11 o'clock at night, he took a shotgun out back and fired four shots into the garden shed for no reason at all. Hmm. And then he got back into his car and resumed picking up passengers. Some of the passengers had heard that there was an active shooter, and they asked him questions like, hey, are you the shooter? Like In one scenario, this is what the guy said. He said, you know there's a shooter... uh, situation going on uh, and the guy Jason Dalton said yeah uh, he, th- he yes he knew that um, but and the guy asked are you you're not the, he said you're not the shooter are you and he said no uh, and then that answer was he said that answer was so deadpan and curt only added to the awkwardness so uh, the guy doubled down and says are you sure and he says no I'm just tired and so there was another passenger that asked him the same thing that said, hey, you're not the shooter, are you? And he's Why like, were they suspe- suspicious that he was the shooter? Because uh, the um, it was a, there was a, like a... I think that there there was a... Um, it was known that like there was a Chevy Equi- a silver Chevy Equinox oh, and okay. a heavy set guy, that heavy set white male with a like a salt and pepper kind of look uh, that was doing it. And he matched all the, both of those things except for he didn't have a silver Chevy. he didn't have the equinox with him right oh he was in his parents because he was in car. his parents car because he had parked the equinox at his parents garage and so uh, uh later that evening um basically uh there was a girl that she tried to request uh an uber several times and she kept getting the silver seven equinox with this guy and she's like oh my gosh that might be the guy so she kept canceling it and then ordering new uber and it kept showing up and uh, later on that time, there was a police officer that kind of saw the guy, saw the car, that because they had checked the footage from the dealership, and they realized, oh, it's not an Equinox anymore. It's this new car. Uh, it was like a black car. And so <clears throat> they pulled him over, and uh, even though the guy was strapped with a... <coughs> excuse me. He, was, uh, he had a gun, uh, like a Walther uh, pistol, uh, I think 9 millimeter. Uh, they were able to arrest him without incident. Took him into custody. So here's the crazy part. Crazy part. This is what he said 
what happened. I'll just read this because it's um, wild. Dalton said, if we only knew, it would blow our minds. Dalton then explains how he opens how he opens up the Uber taxi app. A symbol appeared, and he recognized that symbol as the Eastern Star symbol, so like like a pentagram. Dalton acknowledged that he recognized the Uber symbol as being that of the Eastern Star, and the devil head popped up on his screen when he pressed the but the button on the app. So like, um, well, it'll, it'll explain it. He says. Uh, that is when all the problems started. Dalton said the iPhone can take you over. Dalton explained how you can drive over 100 miles per hour and go through stop signs and you can take just and you can just get places. Dalton described the devil's figure as a horned cow head or something like that and that and then it would give you an assignment. It would literally take over your whole body. So, you know like the the devil like when it's uh like it has, it's like antlers and it, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. that's what he's talking about. Uh, Dalton was asked what was different tonight from other nights. Uh, he said a driver partner with Uber, the icon is red and it has changed to black tonight. I asked him why he was carrying his firearm tonight and he said that the Uber app literally took over his mind and body. Dalton said that when Uber symbol is red, it is just picking up and dropping off people. But when he recognizes the symbol and spoke what the symbol was, the color changed from red to black. Uh, it says Jason Dalton later tried to explain why he allowed himself to be arrested without a fight. He said that he did reach to his right side for the gun when he was pulled over. But then once again, something happened with the phone, his phone In the police interview. He said that it beeped and another, he said that his app turned from black to red. At that moment, he said he felt like he was no longer being guided. As the report summarized, Dalton said that he was that was the reason he didn't shoot the officer. So, I mean, he killed several people. I think it was like seven people in total, six or seven. Uh, his lawyer ended up, they were trying to plead insanity. Uh, yeah. but he ended up saying, uh, no, I accept, I, I plead guilty to all charges. And in 2019, he pleaded guilty to all charges and he got life in prison without parole. But what's crazy about this story is everyone is hypothesizing like what happened? He wasn't like at the end of his rope, like these other stories we shared. He wasn't like, he was a good, he was a normal average guy, Joe. average Joe. And something with that initial call made him go crazy. And, uh, it's not like he had a terrible relationship with his wife either. And then this whole thing with the Uber app, and he says it like he was being possessed and all this kind of stuff. And like the cops, they were like, when he first got into the station, he wasn't saying anything. And then they're like, okay, well, you know, tell us a little bit about this. And they started talking about his dog. And then they're like, okay, okay. And he's like, you guys aren't going to believe this. He's like, this is going to blow your minds. But, you know, then he goes into this whole thing. They're like, okay, okay, okay. And they're just like listening to him because he's at least he's talking, you know. You want, they want to get him talking. And that's where he goes and explains this whole thing. And he's like, one of the things he said, he's like, I have killed, but I am not a killer. And uh, so very bizarre. Very bizarre. wonder if there's other people that can co- corroborate his story and say, yo, I've seen it black too or the, the Uber thing. Or- I don't know. I, I tried to look at some stuff like that. But yeah. like it's almost like a winter soldier. 
type sleeper cell thing, you know, where yeah. some people were hypothesizing that maybe it was like a, it was that movie Zoolander where he's like, here's the music. He's like, kill the prime minister of yeah. Malaysia, you know, and it's just like it's some kind of MK ultra sleeper cell type, you know, yeah. technology. Like, Don't do it. <laughs> just do it. Relax. Don't yeah. do it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so who knows, but it's a wild story. And I thought that was kind of a, a crazy one to share because it had a, a very unique yeah. reasoning what the guy said obviously tra- very tragic that those people died but um it, it's bizarre. it's kind of stuff like that that you know it's like so out there that it's like how could you think of how could you just come up with something like that while you're sitting in the police station like just oh, yeah. I'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna come up with this thing and tell them that i you know i don't know it's like so out there that you're like i don't know yeah that's crazy yeah especially with someone with no history you know doing anything like this yeah. Well, this has been definitely been an interesting episode. Yes. I mean, some some of these stories that we tell them, and I mean, they're they're they can be very tragic in in, in many senses, but it, it's it is really interesting to kind of try to uh, peer into the mind of someone else and yeah. and and analyze their actions and wonder why. Yep. You know, sometimes we'll never we'll never understand why. Other re- other times we might have a specific reason of revenge or whatever else it might be or desperation. Yeah. Um, but experiences like this are just really interesting to to study and and learn from. Yeah, I think people just generally they kind of have people these kind of stories fascinate people because it's just you know wow why would just, why would someone do that or you know that's just so wild that they would just go out and just you don't do something so wild and crazy that we looked at motives and then like, like right now this whole, uh, manhunt for this guy is going on that the guy that that killed his girlfriend, his girlfriend uh, with their van, you know, and then the whole internet's in, and up in, uh, like a, you know, investigation mode trying to figure this thing out. So, uh, they're kind of fascinating to, to research and, and understand and just the human, the capacity of humans to do some things are crazy. Yeah, for sure. So anyway, uh, thanks for listening, guys. Uh, appreciate the opportunity. We always appreciate the opportunity to be here and be chatting uh, together. Hopefully, y'all uh, can uh, you know appreciate it as well. We this uh, we're well into past our fiftieth episode. That was a great episode, and and we just you know love doing this, and we love your y'all support. And if you can uh, leave us a review, that always helps uh, with our our podcast ratings, and so helps us grow. Uh, so we'd appreciate that and yeah all right let's build that creed together all right let's do it